Welcome to Informed Aging, a podcast about health, health, and heart decisions for older adults. I'm Robin Roundtree. I have spent six years as a family caregiver and now work in the senior care industry. With me is my co-host, Edith Gendron. She's the Chief of Operations for the Alzheimer's and Dementia Resource Center, a positive approach to care certified trainer and consultant, and a former family caregiver with over 20 years of experience in the industry. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong to us, not our wonderful employers and sponsors. If you want to get mad, get mad at us and not at them. Before you make any significant changes in you or your person's life, please consult your own experts. Today, we're continuing our conversation with Dr. Rosemary Laird. We'll be back to talk to her right after these messages. Senior Helpers is the only home care agency offering a revolutionary new way to approach senior care the Life Profile Assessment. This data-based app is a crucial tool in helping seniors age safely and successfully at home. Combined with our proven in-home care programs and trained caregivers, Senior Helpers Life Profile is leading the way to better outcomes for our clients. For more information, log on to SeniorHelpers.com. For over 37 years, the Alzheimer's and Dementia Resource Center, ADRC, has served as a Central Florida-based grassroots nonprofit and community resource center. They are dedicated to providing support and hope for families and individuals caring for someone they love who is living with Alzheimer's disease or other dementia-related illnesses. ADRC empowers caregivers with the knowledge, support, skills, and strategies they need to help them confidently prepare for the challenges that lie ahead. To learn more, visit the website adrccares.org. We are back with Dr. Rosemary Laird. She's a clinical associate professor in the Department of Geriatrics at the Florida State University School of Medicine. She serves as a principal investigator for ClinCloud Research in Vieira, Florida, and she's the founder of the family caregiver support company, Navigating Aging Needs, LLC. And if that wasn't enough, Dr. Laird is the chief medical officer of MyMemoryClinic.org, a telehealth specialty medical practice focusing on individualized care and support for patients and family caregivers. So we've talked to you before, Dr. Laird, about having a good visit with your doctor. So now let's talk about something a little more serious, a trip to the emergency room. I think for a normal person, that's overwhelming. But if an elder person is going in with no cognitive issues, what are some tips on making that overwhelming experience a little better? So number one, have someone with you, if at all possible. Number two, have ahead of time written down and ready, kind of ready to go, or at least written down, in this case, your medicines. Yes. Because I know we all think it's in the computer. (laughs) And some version of it is in some computer somewhere, but the real version is what you are taking last night and this morning. So you know, and that's what you need to have on your person, so to speak. You should also have, if you don't have someone with you, have the information about who is responsible for you, Mm. you know, should you become more ill or who knows what you're going in for, but should you need your next decision maker, have that information available. So 
on a day that you're feeling perfectly fine, put all this together because that's important. Um, the other, depending on the circumstances of why you find yourself at the emergency room, uh, typically it ends up being you know, some unforeseen accident. Well, there's not a lot of preparation you can make for that other no. than you can make wallet size versions of your medical history and your um, next of kin information and your medications and have that in your wallet on your person at any time. So that if something does happen, all of us healthcare providers from EMS forward, everyone knows to go check your wallet and look for those sorts of things. So do that. That'll help yourself. And that's uh, getting into a phone. I know a lot of people keep it on their phone, but if you've been oh, in an accident, yes. there's no way someone else can right. get in there. Especially with like um, finger prints yes. now, right. facial right. recognition. That's a really good point. And for a lot of my patients, and this is maybe a, only for a subset of your listeners, but uh, if, if, if you have any specific health condition like diabetes or being on a blood thinner, uh, generally your doc or a seizure disorder, generally your doctors or providers would have already asked you to wear some sort of medical alert for my family caregivers out there. I'm going to just put a little special, um, point out there. And that is, I often recommend if my family caregivers are potentially in situations alone and separate from their loved one, it could very well be important for the emergency teams to know that you are the primary caregiver for a loved one with Alzheimer's disease. Mm. Because if something drastic happens to you, everyone will turn to your in this case, it might be your spouse. If they have Alzheimer's disease, that's going to be problematic, and they're not going to be getting the care they need. Oh. So caregivers, in my opinion, <laughs> um, need to have the bracelets and the pendants. And there are some beautiful examples of, you know, very fa fashionable examples of pendants these days. You don't have to go with the dog tag or the <laughs> marathon runner look. You, right. you can right. fashion it up right. a bit. But in all seriousness, that's important. So if you're a family caregiver who's out and about separate from your loved one, you may want to think about that. And then you have the, the pendant say, I am a caregiver, loved one with Alzheimer's disease. And then your ID button identifies the person who would be responsible for your loved one. Okay. That's the, that's the sort of quick link you want to make so that emergency personnel find out who needs to help that person. And then that um, person who's helping your loved one will also know whatever they need to know about you. But you see Got how it. that sort of triangulates and right. gets help for your loved one, even if you're not able to. So, uh, that is sort of the kind of emergency trauma version of ending up in an emergency room. The other version typically boils down to either a brand new symptom that just started out of the blue, you know, recently, um, or a chronic problem. And really for both of those, the key, I think, to first of all getting good care in the emergency room is having a good uh, story of what's been happening mm. and focus it on the issue at hand. <laughs> Never more important in an emergency room setting 
where these individuals really only have a short period of time to listen to you is to have a succinct history of what happened. So don't go too far back. Right, right. <laughs> Wherever it started, <laughs> it started three days ago, and here's what's been happening over those three days. And as much as you can, obviously you're feeling sick during this time, that's where the buddy system comes in. If it needs to be your dictating to somebody so that they write it down or somebody who's been observing, they tell the story, you know, whatever you can do to have the best version of the recent events, that's important. And as far as chronic illness, kind of the same story, because most of us, if we're going to the emergency room, let's say I have bad heart failure mm. and for the la- and, and I've always had bad heart failure for three years. Well, you haven't been in the emergency room for three years, so something recently has been happening. So you want to focus in on the recent last three days. This is what's been happening. You do need to have your medical sort of story available, but that's where you have your written medical history and medications to the extent you can have all the detail in a written document, your verbal discussion focuses in on what's been happening wherever this particular symptom started. And the other piece of advice on going to the emergency room is as much as possible, make connections back to doctors or nurse practitioners who know you. Hmm. It isn't... I won't editorialize here, but it isn't always the case that primary doctors get notified of things that go on in emergency rooms. Mm. Now, that doesn't necessarily seem to make sense, but that's the case. And in the case of, in the example I gave of congestive heart failure, it may be most important that you're cardiologist who's been following you, if you have a specialist following you, gets notified. But you know best who's helping you, who's writing your prescriptions, who's seeing you in clinic following that disorder. That's who needs to get notified. Don't presume that the emergency room is notifying that doctor. If you have a, a, or a love, or a caregiver, family member can make the call to the doctor's office to notify them, someone should try to make that call because that contact can sometimes help the emergency room. And they often will try to reach out, but again, their time is very limited and they will if it's a you know, pertinent clinical issue. They may not if it's you know, less... You know, they have to triage. Right. <laughs> but, at, but at the end of the day, you're going to go back to that doctor for your follow-up. Yes. And so them knowing you were in the emergency room will help, for example, if you need to get seen sooner. If you've been in the emergency room, most doctor's offices will, on their own, triage that next visit to be sooner rather than three months down the road those kinds of things. Got it. So keeping them informed, keeping your personal providers informed, even when you've been to the emergency room or urgent care, Mm. that is another place that isn't always fully connected in the continuum of care, we call it. It doesn't exactly exist all the time. Right. You have to, (laughs) you have to, as a 
consumer of healthcare, you have to kind of create that con- your own continuum of care. And I'm sorry that that's the case, but we do. All right. So that's for a normal person going to the emergency mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. Let's make it more difficult. And the person has dementia. Mm-hmm. I would never... And I mean never allow any one of my residents to go to the emergency room when their family was not going to accompany them or be there within 15 minutes. I would take someone off the floor. That's how seriously I take that. We could spend hours on horror stories Mm. of what happens when someone who can't speak for themselves or who isn't perceived as a reliable reporter, um, what happens when they end up in the ER. But what say you, Dr. Laird? <laughs> no, Edith, I'm afraid you're, you're right. It, it does not tend to be uh, the situation that you know, most emergency room staff that you encounter will have a high level of uh, awareness of the needs of people with Alzheimer's disease or skills and training in mm. how to handle that. And you know, their training needs are vast, and sometimes it just doesn't rise to the level of their training. But uh, as much as you can, having someone who knows the individual either present or able to communicate the types of things that may be helpful to the next team. I think of it in a way as what would nurses tell each other if they were passing responsibilities. Nurses call it handoff. But if they were passing responsibilities, if you ever have listened to nurses do it, I really, it it, to me always makes me feel good because the nurses are really there to try to help people heal, but also, you know, take care of people. So often they'll say things like, well, she looks pretty nervous. And especially when the curtains closed, that you know, she seems a lot more nervous. You'll, you'll see them sort of take a few seconds and, and make those kinds of personal comments about what can help care of this individual. As a family caregiver, if you know your loved one and there are some personal examples of, of things that you know <laughs> would help, um, you know, call him George, not William or, you know, something like that. He will only respond to George or talk about dogs. If you get into trouble, talk about dogs, you know, or his left ear is deaf. Please talk from the right side and he'll be fine. Or this is a common one. He reads lips. Don't scream at him. Just stand right in front of him and he'll do what you ask. You know, those sorts of personal tips if you're not there to share them, if you can't be in the emergency room with your loved one with any of those disorders, you can call the emergency room and ask for the intake coordinator. Most emergency rooms have someone, typically it's a nurse, who's responsible for taking phone calls about people who are coming into the, the department. And Typically, if you ask for someone who's helping, you know, know or who's just helping sort of take information about people coming into the office and just say, say the situation. I'm the family caregiver. I'm three hours away at the airport. I'll be there in three hours, but here's what you need to know. He can't hear out of his left ear. Please, you know, 
but you kind of have to know that you might have to say those sorts of things. So you want to, that's another example of think about it now so that, and even write it down if you need to, so that in the emotion of being called and saying dad fell and has a broken hip, you'll be able to, you know, keep it together and call and get some of those points there. If you're an out of town or even if you're an in-town person, having a backup for yourself that can show up at an emergency room, friend, volunteer from church, you know, sometimes the personal helps, but the physical yes. advocate is, is, does a lot for people. Um, so even if it has to be someone who doesn't maybe necessarily have all the content you want them to have, it, it can matter. Yes. A great deal just to have someone on your team. Yeah, and keeping take, you calm. Yeah, and yeah. taking information down and just letting you know what has happened while you haven't been there. Um, Edith, that's a really tough situation because the, the other thing to realize is in emergency rooms, the staff there are trained to triage. They're looking for things that can, you know, kill people mm. <laughs> and things that are need to be taken care of immediately. In this day and age, sometimes other thing, other conditions are going on, and you know half the emergency room has those kinds of things, mm-hmm. and the other half has lesser emergencies, and so that can set up some challenges too. So I, I think it's really important to keep an open mind to the experience of being in an emergency room. There will be a triage going on, and you know if your loved one is stable without a life-threatening emergency, there will be a certain pace of how things go. But I assure you, if they were on the life-threatening side, the pace would be very different and they would be getting that attention. So it's hard sometimes, but you have to sort of realize that that's... It's a little bit of good news that you've had a three-hour wait. (laughs) In a way. In a way. (laughs) But with someone with cognitive impairment, that can be excruciating Mm. for everyone involved. So letting people know there is a diagnosis and this is the type of problem that you may have, uh, even them getting out of bed, you know, they, he will not remember if you tell him not to get out of bed. That can be a critically important piece for you to say, even if you're in Boston and he's in Florida, you know, just tell them, look, don't leave him alone. He will get out of bed with his IV on and fall and all this. Mm. Letting them know that as much as you can ahead of time will help if you found out that they're there on their own. Or in a couple of recent cases, not only did they get out of bed and leave, it got off the gurney actually, and left the area, they went outdoors in highly trafficked areas. Mm. So So some of what that makes me think about from a family caregiver piece of advice is, (laughs) I know we're not as human beings into preparing ahead of time for things that we don't think we hope won't, will never happen. But this is an example where the buttons that are, I fallen and I can't get up mm. that alert you and alert um, EMS. Many of those systems also have a system where you can preload with some medical information nice. so that it, it holds that information. It provides, it can make make it easier for you to provide that to emergency medical personnel. And you're finding out about it earlier. You know, your loved one isn't there for hours. And and then, you know, you're trying to catch up. You're finding out about it earlier and EMS is involved. That's a key um, sort of intervention is to have EMS involved 
as early as possible if someone's really in, in sort of dire straits and you're not able to be there. Dr. Lear, thank you so much again for being on the podcast. Please make sure everyone subscribe to our podcast, give us great ratings, and tell your family and friends about us. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter at informed underscore aging, facebook.com slash informed aging. And if you need to reach us, you can email us informedagingpodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode was recorded at Digital Broadcasting's podcast studio. That's all for now. We're looking forward to our next visit.